0: Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today, we'll be hearing from Cyril Deramo, and Cyril is fresh off his successful quest to be the first person to cross from California to Hawaii by kayak using 100% human power. Now, in this episode, he shares a lot about his preparation and the personal experience of making this trip. Planning, more planning, pain, perseverance, it's all in this trip. Now, this episode was originally going to feature Ollie Hicks, and I opted to shuffle the deck just a little bit so you can hear from Cyril now, since he just completed the trip and it's been the talk of the paddle sports world lately, and it will likely be for some time. You'll get to hear from Ollie as he shares the journey of the Finman from Greenland to Scotland in our next episode. I caught up with Cyril as he was driving from San Diego, California, where he'd just picked up his boat Valentine and was trailering trailering her back to San Francisco. He stopped his trip back home to accommodate the recording so you may pick up a little bit of background noise. With that, enjoy today's episode with Cyril Deramo. Hi Cyril, welcome to Paddling the Blue.
1: Hi John, how are you?
0: Fantastic. Well, you're uh, not long off your, your impressive trip. So tell us about your history as a paddler and an adventurer. Oh, uh,
1: it's uh, quite recent. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm 46 years old, but I only started paddling when I was 32, when I moved to California. So I'm French-born, but I've, I've lived in many countries uh, before arriving in the U.S., uh, namely England, Spain, Italy. Argentina, Brazil. And finally, I moved to California with the wine business. And a friend of mine from Fiji, Tevita, said, hey, Cyril, you got to come paddles of this outrigger canoe. And uh, there's a club just under the Golden Gate. So it was uh, a little bit of drive from uh, Sonoma and drive down there. And the first time I went in a canoe, they put me seats five, five. And uh after 20 minutes, I was like, when are we stopping? This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I guess I was hooked. And after that it went um, from bad to worse. I started to, to do a little race uh, with the newbies it was eight mile race. And to tell you, you know, I didn't know anything about racing. And I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and, and ate my pasta to make sure I had my carb loads. And uh, after that, there's another race called the Catalina. So from Newport Beach to Catalina, it's a crossing, 32 miles. It's a water change paddling race, and it was super fun. It um, took five hours, but for that one, I had to to train. That was only one year after I started to paddle and had a blast. And then the next aim was a year after I paddled. is a race called the Molokai Hoe which is a race from the island of Molokai to the uh, island of Oahu, and we arrived in Honolulu. That's 43 miles, and that's a six um, six hour race for that one. Also I trained the whole year and I was dedicated to this and I had a blast. So I did that race four times, uh, every time on a Koa canoe. So it's a, it's a wooden boat, traditional to the Hawaiian. And it's an honor to, to be able to paddle in these, uh, wooden canoes. Normally they're fiberglass. And I was always seat, seat one up in front and the six, six man canoe. And the reason is I'm not very strong. I'm not very big, but I can, keep the pace and I can keep going and I've got a good good mental where I can sustain pain and and I, I love to feel the, the people paddling behind me and that I'm the lead dog where I have to keep the pace and if I don't then the boat doesn't move but then there's a, a group of friends that had the idea of this race up in Canada uh, called the Yukon River Quest it's uh, 444 miles so 10 times more than the Molokai Hoi and so we didn't really know how to, how to get ready for that and we asked some friends who had done it a few times and and then trained for the whole year. And in 2012, so that was three years after I had started paddle. Uh, we did that race in 43 hours and I was up, up the front and we had a blast again. And so I guess it's it's what happened when you paddle. It's always have fun, you know. <laughs> um, so I did that race uh, three times, one in the Voyager, which is a six man, one in the four man; and one in the two man. And every time I seem to have fun in a different way, different people in the boat and different mm-hmm. vessels. So it was just always different. But then after there's, I did uh, another race, a clo- close one called the Calina- Catalina, sorry, the California 100, that's a hundred miles down the Sacramento river. And that's also river canoe. It's two men we did that in 12 hours. and And, and then suddenly I, I stumbled upon this website that said, you don't have to be a rower to cross an ocean. And it was about rowing across the ocean on, on a rowing boat, but I had never rowed before. So after five years of paddling, I said, well, you know, it's, it's gotta be something similar. So I started sculling and, and, and rowing on my own. I bought this little fishing boat and I put a, uh, built a, a rowing sit on it and started to row. And, um, two years later, I was rowing the ocean from Monterey to Honolulu on a four-man team, uh, so there was uh, me the Frenchman, Carlo, the American guy, and Chago from Brazil, and Fian from Iceland, so we were a team uniting nations. And we were pretty competitive, so we had set to, to try to beat the record, which was 43 days, and, and we did that in 39 days, uh, rowing two hours on, two hours off, and after the end, it was like a blast, but I told myself I'll never do that again. <laughs> it was so hard. And I lost 15 pounds, but I, I learned a lot, you know, about navigation at sea, survival at sea and the ocean itself. So, uh, then I went back to paddling and started to surf ski more and that was my sport. And I opened actually a website where I, I sell paddling gear because I was so much into paddling. And at the time I stopped working in the wine business and that was around 2016. And then uh, suddenly I started to read uh, more things, uh, more adventurers and more trailblazers. Um, One is Ed Gillette who crossed the the Pacific from Monterey to Maui on a a kayak in 1987. And then this other person called Peter Bray who crossed the North Atlantic in a kayak from Newfoundland to Ireland. And another one, you know, I start to be tickling by the ideas of crossing in a kayak. And and then I, I read about Scott Donaldson who's crossing the Tasman Sea from Australia to New Zealand and also in a kayak. But to give you an idea, you know, the, the kayak to cross oceans is very, very rare. Uh, there's probably been six crossing in kayaks compared to rowing boats where there's been hundreds, like maybe eight hundreds. Sure. So uh, it's, it's a new new paddling and, and because I was paddling surf ski every day, and several hours a day, then I said, okay, well, I think I have the experience with the paddling um, stroke. I have the experience with the navigation because I've done it in a rowing boat. I just have to find the right, right boat, and, and there you go. I was on the dream and, to build a boat for myself, and uh, this happened across this year.
0: So then you connected with uh, with Rob to build the boat. Is that right, Rob Philoy?
1: Yes. So I, I called Peter Bray, who crossed the North Atlantic. I said, hey, Peter, how was your experience with your boat? It's actually very similar to mine. I said, well, it was great. It never capsized. And I said, well, who built your boat? It was Rob Philoy and Devon. So Southwest England. So I called Rob and I said, Rob, would you build me a boat? I said, what? It was in 2001 that I p- p- Peter Braith. So I don't have a shop. I don't know if I could do that. I'm retired, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I must've been convinced enough that I, he finally agreed to it. And and that was in 2019, we, we decided to work together. Safety was the, the prime uh, decision for that for me picking to work with Rob. And a lot of experience and and he could build it you know from from scratch so we did an improvement on the design that he had already already on peter bray and he, he had already done a two-man kayak to cross the tasman sea called lot 42. so I, I we did a few modifications and and it was ready in march 2020 and my departure was set to be june 2020 um, but i guess you remember the date there was Uh, COVID happening and unfortunately the the dock was closed in England. He couldn't access the boat. He couldn't put it in the container. So couldn't ship it to California. And that was a bummer. I had trained hard for a year. I had to postpone it to 2021 and that's, that's happening. It's the boat arrived finally in September, 2020. And then I had a few months to train on the boat. I get used to the confinement of the cabin and and the paddling style. And the boat is quite, quite heavy. with the food and all, it's about 800 pounds. Okay. So I'm paddling in the bay, did a few a few trips here and there, and and I felt ready, and I decided to go in, in June 2021. Finally, I could take off from under the Golden Gate uh, from the same spot where my first paddling happened. Uh, the Outrigger Club is called Tamal Pais and and right there there's a little cove called Horseshoe Cove. So... Take, took off from there or a very early morning um, with the tide going out and the wind favorable and beautiful sunrise and, and there we go for what I was expecting to be a 70 day crossing three days went really well uh, I did good and but then the the wind suddenly changed and picked up really strong and for three days I was stuck in the cabin the first day was 28 miles an hour wind and then 30, 32, 33 and 35 and the third day was 35, but gusting 45 uh, with really big waves, like up to five meters. Mm-hmm. And I was only 70 days, 70 miles offshore. Unfortunately, I had an issue with my sea anchor. So the sea anchor, for those who don't know, is, is some sort of parachute that is in the back of the boat and puts the boat perpendicular to the wave. And that makes you ride the wave safely. And no matter what kind of strength, it, it works really well. And the boat is is really seaworthy. It's built for that. So... The issue I had is that the, the, the retrieving line that permits me to bring back the parachute, uh, got entangled in my rudder and collapsed the parachute. And suddenly the boat went sideways to the wave and then, and that became very dangerous and in some ways, I guess, you know, I wasn't really mentally prepared for that, but I thought I was really prepared for it, but you can read anything you want, talk to everybody until you're in yeah. the, in the in the boat and, and, and filling it with, for yourself, then, you know. You can't really train so I, I i finally i decided with my lane support to call for a rescue and call the coast guards they come pick me can pick me up with a helicopter sent a diver and and took me in the, in the helicopter left the boat in the water and um i was back, back home in an hour and that was that was a big disappointment yeah I, I thought i was not given a fair shot but uh there was no way i would let, let my boat valentine uh, valentine in french Drift away, and so I decided to to go get it with a towboat from Santa Cruz, and in a day it was back on land, and and then the dream was not never, never died, and and I decided, okay, I've got a year to get better, and in 2022 I'll do it. So what happened during that year? Uh well, a lot of self-reflections. First, I had to improve on the boat, I made modification on side protection because I had a lot of waves that would swamp my cockpit very fast, and. And that's the main difference between a rowing boat and a kayak that you're so low to the water, you know, I can touch the water on both sides at the same time, so with my hand. Mm -hmm. So I had to increase in the easiness of bailing. So I added a a bilge pump in between my legs. Also wanted to have the ability to make phone calls from inside the cabin. So I added an external antenna and I did improvement, of course, on the sea anchor, but the thing is there's, uh, it's a lot of brainstorming with friends that we, we had to. I reinvent the wheel because it uh, it doesn't exist, you know. It, you have you know what they do in rowing boats, but the, the kayak that is much slimmer and 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 different, and has rudder different, and uh, you know rides the wave differently. You have to to improve. So we we find a different way to um, rig the stern line and and the rudder and etc. And we did some trials. Uh, we did. Uh, <laughs> I did the trials once. We we had decided with my friends, and part of it was also to have more experience in bad weather. I'd, I wanted to create some automatism where big waves swamping my canoe, my, my kayak would, would not be a source of stress. So, um, I did uh, five days in Santa Cruz when I knew it was going to be blowing 20 to 25 knots and I would go out in the morning and go against the wind as far as I could go. And when my speed was under a knot then I would turn around and ride the, the swell. And that, that was also critical for, for my, my mental, uh, in the approach of the new trial.
0: So, in what ways was your boat similar to, and in what ways different from a standard off-the-shelf kayak?
1: Oh, it's completely different. It Has nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, off-the-shelf kayak is meant for coastal uh, paddling, and mm-hmm. mine is the ocean. So it's it's really heavy. It's it steers poorly in. So you uh, you couldn't really you know move swiftly between rocks or anything. You have to be away right. um, far, and it's very well ballast it's heavy you know 100 pounds my weight uh, on top of it 180 pounds so pull that is a different kind of stroke but uh, it's it's very safe in, in any kind of weather it self-rightens if you were to capsize it's loaded with all the la- latest gear in terms of safety and navigation so uh, namely there's well, solar panels that charge two lithium-ion batteries and the lithium-ion batteries are under the water line to increase the ballast Another item that is um, using electricity is uh, the water maker. So mm-hmm. I can't carry that much water for 90 days. So sure. I have to make my water along the way. And the water maker is is just taking some uh, water from the ocean and desal. It yeah. So for navigation there's a plotter and in, it's inside the cabin so I put my waypoints every day from my professional weather router. And he looks, you know, he sends me the information on the strength of the wind and direction of the wind, uh, and then the waves and, and the swell and the height of the, the waves and the frequency and, and also the current. And that uh, leads me to understand the day. Um, but also, he gives me a waypoint, which is a lat-long uh, coordinates, and I put that on the GPS. And then I have a repeater in, in the cockpit so I can see when I paddle my direction. Okay. Then I have a VHF to be able to speak to other ships uh, locally uh, throughout the, the crossing. And then I have a, a piece of equipment called the AIS. It's an automatic identification system. And that's uh, a tra- transmitter of my identity pretty much to the other boats. And it uses the same antenna as a VHF, So it's local. It's up to 20, 25 miles away, nautical miles. And I have a receiver as well. So I can see all the boats and I see their speed and, and their size and the direction. and and that's also for safety because out the coast of California, there's a lot of container ships and tankers that go. Another piece of, of equipment, where there's everything for communication with land. So I've got uh, a satellite texting device. I've got a satellite phone and that same device also allows me to send a few pictures of low definition. And then I have two other pieces of equipment. Uh, one is called the e So it's a, it's a Emergency position and beacon, and that's for emergency where, where something happens. I press it and sends information for uh, Mayday, so you know, to be rescued. And I have a PLB on me all the time. I'm attached a lot of times when I'm on the deck, and the PLB is a, a personal locator beacon that also is able to be triggered by just a press of a button, and and that sends my location anywhere on the world, but only for a period of 24 hours. So. The biggest danger is to be separated from the boat. Sure. And um, and it didn't happen locally, but uh, uh, it could have, you know. So uh, I'm always attached to a harness and a tether, and I also have an inflatable life raft for one man in case you know something would happen. But the, the boat is insubmersible, and it, it's it's a life raft in itself. Oh. Um, and I have a last piece of equipment called the RTE. It's a radar transmission enhancer. And that sends a signal. It's, it really reflects the radar from the big container ships, and it's a it's the same piece of equipment that is used by the container ship. So they they see me as a big big item on the ocean, and they might not see me visually, but they'll see me, and they'll they'll try to avoid me. Uh, so it's another piece of, of safety.
0: Did you have any close calls with ships?
1: Um, not really. No, I, I, I'm lucky. You know, they're they're professionals, so they have uh, people you know piloting the boat twenty four seven, and uh, they have to be careful that they're carrying so much, so uh, that's the safety in itself. Um, uh, there's one boat that went about a mile away, and in that case, you just you know monitor their distance and, and speed, and, and in some cases, I called them on the VHF and they say, uh, you know, use the radio uh, vocabulary and mm-hmm. if you guys see me? You know, or it's just safety. You know, I, I'm I have very little speed, so I won't be able to move, and and they're oh, okay. Ten four, we'll just change. You know, no problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, your communications expert. So tell us about the team that you had in place to make this trip happen.
1: There's quite a bit of, of knowledge that goes into that, and, and it's hard for, for, for me as the solo person on the boat to know everything. So I'm like a little Swiss knife. I, I know a little bit of everything, but I'm not an expert. Um, so, for instance, I, I've got a, a medical kit that is I really thought for that, but I had a company called um, World Clinic that is has a doctor on call 24 seven and I could call them, but I won't call them directly. So I have this person called a friend of mine called Dave and Dave is my main land support. He's got all the power and he's, I contact him at morning, lunch and dinner and evening. So I can tell him how I feel. And he knows everything about my state, state of mind and my physical and my emotions and also the boat and, and the state of the climate and the ocean. So he'll he's got the, the right also to call me off and say, okay, you know, I think it's not safe, zero, you're hallucinating. And he could, he could call the coast guards without me approving okay. as how much power he has. Huh? But, but Dave is, a, is, the, the one piece that connects all the dots. So another one would be, uh, the electricians, uh, there's a specialist in, in marine boat. And, uh, so they, let's say, I have an issue with my battery. I know how to, change a few things like my battery die and I know how to plug it so that I can can charge my my little items uh, directly to the solar panels etc but sometimes you know something goes wrong and I need to be able to call them and I'm not going to call them directly so I call Dave and he's then he goes call them Uh, I've got a whole social media team as well because I wanted to to be very interactive and send information Um, so I would write a, a little blog email and then send it to Actually, my girlfriend, Ashley, and she would post it on, on social media. And that was that was really fun to see how many people followed the trip.
0: Oh, it was fun following it. It definitely uh, was a great, good time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you
1: follow it? Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and and one of the things, you know, she, she would tell me the comments of some people and were, wow, you know, some people are really being impacted about how you do that. And you must have seen them too, you know, people that are not kayakers, that are not adventure racers where, also taken by, you know, other values of, you know, uh, problem solving and, and, and difficulty and then and just supering uh, the difficulties and, and that was really good. So there's another piece of equipment I forgot to talk about. It's, a, it's called the Yellow Brick and it's a, it's a tracker. Uh, it's a satellite and wakes up every hour, sends the information to the satellite of my position and, and that's how I, I would have a, a live tracker on my uh, my website. Okay. And it's an amazing piece of equipment because uh, not only it sends info for the tr- tracker, but you can have a blog on it. Uh, uh, but also, it's it's great because it really uses low battery. And I tell you, like I re- arrived in Hilo, the big island of Hawaii, after 90 days and still had 72% battery. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's, it's amazing also for security because should I lose my battery or my communication with land, this would still work and and my my dave my Lance support could say okay well cyril's still doing the mileage he does in the last 10 days you know more or less and he's not drifting like, in a weird way so he, he would know that even though we would not communicate that i'm still doing good okay yeah and what else of the team well the, the prior to the race um the race to the crossing i did uh, some mental coaching with a, a guy called pierre in bordeaux in france and uh, he's a uh, He's a fireman. He teaches firemen mental training. So I did a lot of time with him to see how we could correlate his protocols and his mental tricks to to my boat. I also did uh, hypnosis with uh, an Indian guru. I was in India doing a yoga retreat and and I did a hypnosis session uh, to to work on the unconscious side so that I would have certainties in certain situations and that would help me out as well.
0: I mean the, the mental aspect of uh, 91 days at sea is has got to just be uh, po- mm-hmm. overpowering.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a day to day. I mean, uh, I don't think it, I look at it as a 91 day trip. It's it's 91 time one day. Okay. And that's really important. It's one day at a time where uh, you deal with what's happening that day. If it's bad weather or flat weather, and then you're not moving or too hot or or maybe you feel weak or you seasick, all this. It's a you have to deal with a day that the past is the past it, that really doesn't matter and the future is not yet here. So uh, it's a really good lesson for life. I mean, obviously, we can't do that 100% of the time when we're living in, in our society. We have to plan a little bit the future. And but for there, really nothing else matters than survival in that day. Obviously, you you have to look at you know having sustainable gear and sustainable you know let's say steering paddles and all that. So you still have to take care of your body as if you you wanted to go the long run but in the end for the mental aspect it's it's one day at a time. So how did
0: you take care of yourself physically?
1: Well, it starts with the self-awareness for, first about knowing where you are and trained really well and you know for for um, repetitive motion like this uh, that is 10 hours a day of the same motion. It's really the, the joints and the tendons that are solicited. So I had trained purposefully for for that. I had good muscle strength, but um, I lost quite a bit for the muscles I didn't use. Um, I lost 20 pounds um, and and that's okay. Uh, Probably half of it would would be within the first two weeks because I I lost a lot of weight, um, not being able to eat properly when I was seasick. And then as you adjust to the new environment and the new food, you know, mostly freeze dried meals and and, and high calorie, you're digesting very fast. You're doing, you know, those 10 hours. It's hard on the body. I did great physically. You know, I I didn't have any pain uh, in any of the joints, the tendons, so my my preparation was good, no cramps. I was taking electrolytes uh, as I needed, and uh, my immune system was great. So one of my sponsors is Standard Process, and they do supplements. And compared to my first crossing on a rowing boat, I I really wanted my immune system to be really, really strong before I started. So I was on a a diet of, of different kinds of supplements a few months before going, so I would be really really strong in terms of um immunology and then after i also wanted my cognitive system to my system my, my brain work and my you know my mental capacity to be super high so they also had some supplements but in the end also it's it's the body so i'm taking some turmeric so to, to pr- improve the like a natural anti-inflammatory i really trained trained the, the whole year with no medication whatsoever so if indeed I had to take an ibuprofen or something that would be super efficient. During the whole crossing, I didn't take any caffeine or any alcohol whatsoever. You know, it's, it's all trying to be as natural as possible and, and low impact on the body so that the body would respond itself to whatever it uh, you know it needed to do.
0: So how, how did you manage the food aspect? I mean, you mentioned some of the freeze-dried things, but I mean, that's 91 days of food, even, even freeze-dried stuff. Can take up some space. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, it's heavy. Uh, I had uh, 230 pounds of food, 220, 230 pounds. So that's heavy. It's about 4,000 calories a day, and um, I, you eat all the time, pretty much, <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> you spend so much calories. You know, I lost 20 pounds, so that was not enough, and and but at some point your body can't really. Eat you know, digest. If you eat more, it it just goes through the system. So yeah. um, Yeah. It freeze right, freeze right meals because they're light. You just put water in it and never use the stove. So it's just cold water. They rehydrate really well and bars and uh, maybe here and there a few, a few candies and stuff just to make it fun.
0: So you didn't use the stove the entire time?
1: No, I had it and I took only uh, two canisters of gas. I knew I would use it only when the weather would be flat and just because there's a risk, you know, my cockpit is so small, I would have to put the stove between my legs and, and then you get burnt, and, and there you go, you know, yeah. it's, you can call it quid because then, you know, you have seawater and you get infected. It could be bad. Yeah. On my first crossing, I never did use a um, stove either, so I had it just in case and I didn't feel the need to, so uh, I
0: didn't do it. So is there? one one food item that you just you just enjoyed so much you you kept eating that oh
1: way. yes yes well i one that was only five of those it was had fish um and salmon and it was cooked uh, i don't know if you can use the brand names but there's <laughs> one brand that does that and you put it's in a pouch and okay the flavor was just amazing <laughs> and i used it for the the halfway point and one for my birthday okay and those were really good good food but between my legs i also have a pedaling system Um, that's one of the uh, distinction that i wanted to have from ed you know his legs were atrophied yeah so he used a kite and i said i'm not going to use the wind i'm going to use a pedal so it's all human powered but uh, i think having the the legs as an alternative to the paddles is, is actually really good so I worked with the the barrage drive from Hobie, and it's like a um, side fins that move under the boat and that was a, t- a technical difficulty to to be able to have that well right between my legs because the end of the well had to be higher than the water the level of the water right the water line so that obviously the water wouldn't spill into my cockpit but it worked really well and i used that when you know in the morning um, the other idea i had is well if i stopped paddling because I can't paddle and eat at the same time I'm holding my paddle. So it's, it's an hour in the morning, an hour in lunch and a, an hour dinner, where three hours more or less where I'm not moving, and that's, you know, I could do two miles an hour if I were. So that's six miles a day that I'm losing and those six miles, you know, times 70 days, uh, that's, that's maybe a fifth of the distance just yeah. because I'm paddling. So also wanting to have an alternative to, to the upper body just in case you know, were to be hurt or, you know, when you paddle kayak style, you have so many parts that are moving the shoulders and, and the elbows and the wrist and, or even the fingers, you know, the grip you could have and, and the rotation of the torso. So I wanted to, to have that alternative in paddling. And plus if, if I do two hours paddling, two hours paddling, then I alternate the, the muscles and I think it's better for the health of the entire body and that's actually the reason believe it or not i never had a blister um, really because i was paddled with no glove and in the end you know that would make to about five hours of paddling and five hours of peddling. so the five hours of paddler, paddling that's pretty much what i would do every day before i were left so my hands were used and also it, it also re- rested the grip it rested the skin and dried the skin and that worked really well for that so yeah, that was pretty much my my, uh, my routine, just to start paddling so I could eat and get some food in, start to digest a little bit, and then I would paddle for two hours and then paddle for two hours, take a nap for an hour, and then do the same in the afternoon.
0: So what was your sleeping system like?
1: Well, when you're solo, there's nobody paddling when you're sleeping, so <laughs> yeah. um, when you drift, you drift, and. If it's favorable, you could just let it drift in the right direction. If it's unfavorable, there's one way is to put the sea anchor to slow your drift. But you have two sizes, one the small is a drogue. Uh, I use that every night uh, because it stabilizes the boat a little bit. It puts it perpendicular to the wave and you, you sleep a little bit better. The big one could be helping to slow you even more. Or if the current is stronger than the wind, that it could actually take you in diff- on a less favorable direction so it's kind of a gamble you have to decide. Um, I used a big sea anchor only twice when it was um, hurricane Estelle still um, it was downgraded to a tropical storm just for safety uh, but the sleeping you know once I'm inside the cabin I close the hatch it's uh, fully waterproof I've got two vents that bring me oxygen sufficiently for the whole night I still have to wake up every hour to look at the plotter because the AIS will tell me if there's a container ship if the radius that I look at about 20 miles away from me, I see a container ship kind of coming towards me, then um, I I'll, I know he's going five, five 15 nautical miles an hour. So it'll be about 20, like from 20 miles, it'll be five miles away from me when I wake up in one hour. So I put the cooking a little buzzer and an hour later I'll just wake up and either I know that he's you know passing about 3 to 4 miles away. I don't know to worry. I can go back to sleep. I don't see any container container ship on on the platter. Okay, I can sleep an hour and a half, no problem. So I'll do that, especially off the coast of California when I'm close to Los Angeles, you know that means there's a lot of container ships out there and got to be careful. Sometimes there's four or five ships like uh, like I said, they're they're professional, so they they don't want to have any any collision. So it's it's a for safety, but Let's say my e i signal fails um, during the night maybe my my you know something goes wrong. they don't see me and then that could be an issue so I just have to be adapting to that
0: um, lack of sleep okay Yeah. you never so you never got more than an hour and a half of sleep in a, in a row
1: no uh, after after a while you know when you're out very uh, far okay. uh, there's much less, and then if when you don't see a container ship in 10 days, you're like, okay, <laughs> you rest and you get used to the confinement of the cabin, and it's, it's easier to sleep like three, four hours, no problem. I would still wake up, in fact, still now, two weeks later after landing, I still have I don't have a, a very good sleep. Um, my RAM is very low, and, and my deep sleep is very low, it's a light sleep. Not very resting, and I, I guess it's going to take me a few more weeks to to get go- back
0: to good sleeping. I would imagine so. So, what were the temperatures like? Did it did you find much variation in temperature?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Both uh, the air and the, and the and the water. At the beginning, you're off the coast of California, and it's not that cold because it's end of June, early July. But when you're wet and there's wind, you could be cold. You know, so you have to watch that, especially if it's a foggy day and, and there's a lot of clouds. Um, Got to be careful of the batteries make sure they're charged especially if you're making water but after a halfway point then the temperatures get warm the wildlife changes there's you know flying fish that start to go and say okay we're starting warm waters here and as you get closer to hawaii that's the opposite it's not cold it's like burning hot like you're cooking under that sun the whole afternoon so you have to prevent that and, you know make sure you have a, a coverage over your head and, and and hats and sunscreen and long sleeve and And it's bearable, but you just have to go through it.
0: So you said, and I believe this is a quote after you got back. um, The quote was, before leaving, I couldn't really explain why I wanted to take on this challenge, but I finally found all the answers to my questions on the water. What were those answers? Well, um,
1: the the issue is that I, I did it very, was following my guts. Like, I'm drawn to that adventure. And I didn't really have any reasons. And people ask me, why do you want to do this? It's three months and so your body's going to suffer. You know, you have to stop your career for three months and it's risky. And I I just want to do it. I, I had no ent- reason for it. And the, the trip started very much hard, like physically. I had to get off the coast over the first three weeks. It was very physical, physical mental. And and I think a, a second, maybe a three weeks, four weeks in, I started to be in a different mood where my, my brain, brain or my mind would be completely decluttered from from what i had on land you know all the things we have to do every day like the email the the, the social media and then the calendar and the phone calls and all that is just like me and the water and started to connect amazingly with the environment and have different thoughts and it was very emotional um, maybe also because i was tired and but i was very emotional and started to think about my friends and started crying about it. my friends and why do I miss them so much it's because I love them. And then, and then the concept of love and in between people, you know, I decided to write a blog about it and be very personal it's, and it started to be a very spiritual journey. Uh, and then the other concepts like the fr- brotherhood of, of fraternity and I write a blog about this. And, and in the end, I, I think that's, it's just, it's, it's just like, those are the answers that I was waiting, you know, all the values i had them before and i was living them but the realization of that trip made those ideas and those concepts very clear in my mind so that i would now intentionally live them in in the rest of my life
0: so how do you how are you applying that or how will you apply that going forward
1: well you know i think it's it comes down to two words it's love and fraternity so it's it's all about i think the concept is Everybody feeds on love. Since they were born, since you received from your parents or the lack thereof, people are craving being loved. And I think you can give love if you, like I was, I had it so, so much from my parents. My parents are the solid roots of my life. So I have it in big supply and I thrive by giving it away because I, I feel like you can make a difference in people's life by making their lives better, giving them love. And not only just friends and family, I want to extend the concept to strangers. I mean, just by giving a nice, honest smile, you're giving love away and, and that could change somebody's day. So uh, the other concept of fraternity is also trying to look at everybody as as a brother, a sister, or a father and, and and that little grandma that you know, if if you if it was your grandma, the exact same person, you would treat her differently. But why do we? Just because we've never met her, but She's a little grandma, you know, <laughs> or a <our> little <laughs> kid. They could be our kid. Why, why don't we, you know, treat each other as like family, and, and and across races and religions and and citizenship and and continents. And those are concepts that are not new, you know. They, it's pretty much a song of of John Lennon, Imagine, you know, no mm-hmm. no borders, no citizenship, no uh, no religion. And those are just concepts that are applicable in our our daily lives so I'll, I'll do that I'll, when i see people like now i concept okay what if that was my brother you know what would i do i, I certainly certainly care more about what he thinks certainly you know be more patient of what he says and listen to his ideas even though I'm, I'm disagreeing with them and and i wrote those some blogs like this and hopefully you know some people will read that and say well actually i can do that for one day and maybe they they like it and they do that for another day and, and it's a little drop in the ocean, but uh, that's how, I think, in the end, we change the world.
0: Well, I'll be certain to put, uh, put your blog in the show notes so folks can pick up those, uh, those posts as well and, and learn from that. So, mm-hmm. so what goes through your head for 91 days?
1: Oh, well, it's three months, so a lot of things. Uh, uh, sometimes the time seems really long, and it's a groundhog day over and over. Sometimes it's joyful things. Sometimes it's sad. Uh, Sometimes it's a little bit stressed or hopeful and all kinds of emotions. I I think it's a, it's a concentrate of all the emotions you can have in life. And, but the whole trick is because you're alone and because you, you have to go and keep going. You have to be able to, to control them. And some that are undesirable, you have to be able to snap out of them. Uh, Some that are good. You you can, you know, keep them and and cherish them and make them better. But uh, in the end, it's one day at a time and and you got to get there, you know, there's no touring around because the currency will not let you. So I think for me, it was um, friends, you know, I, I I didn't miss any of the comfort. I knew that I was going to have a wet sleeping bag and eat, you know, freeze dried meals and, and not have anything hot or cold and, and be wet and salty and, and maybe, you know, fungus under the nails. All these little dec- discomfort, I didn't care. Uh, I knew I, I was going to have them, but I'm a very altruistic person, so I was really wondering how I would cope with being alone and would loneliness bother me and I actually didn't really. Uh, I was happy me alone, I, sometimes I didn't even listen to any music, I would just watch the ocean and connect with it. But uh, I really think like my my friends and, and family and, and girlfriends and kids, my, I just want to connect more. and, and just re- Enhanced the, the need that I have to be with them and share good moments with them. So now that's what I'm doing.
0: All right. So speaking of music, is there one song that just kept going through your head that you couldn't forget?
1: Oh, yeah, there's one song that's been the song for my a life of adventure. It's uh, It's My Life by Bon Jovi. Okay. Do <laughs> that? It's, it's my life. It's now or never. I mean, if I'm listening to that song and you can propose me any adventure, I will say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had downloaded a few songs on, on my software on the phone, and, and I would play them randomly. And there's one that I actually didn't know very much that uh, started to play. And uh, I don't know, it's it's in French. It's uh, Coup de Tête by Bon Entendeur. And I could give you the link, but it's, it's a song. There's no lyrics. It's just... Uh, uh, good beats, and, and then this whistling tune, and somehow my the software would play it almost every day, so it became the song of the crossing.
0: <laughs> so you did not uh, download and binge all the episodes of the Paddling the Blue Podcast.
1: No, I, I did. <laughs> uh, I did that for Seinfeld. I had all the episode
0: of Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, so what were your biggest challenges of the actual trip?
1: Mm, well, I think the, the, the bad weather for me, when the wind was over 20 knots, it was not comfortable. When Estelle, uh, the hurricane Estelle, you know, that went down, still brought me some high wind, 20, 23 to 24 knots, but it did so close to the coast of California, or somewhat close, maybe 400 miles off. And that's where the, you know, the waters is chaotic and the hurricane will bring some winds that are usually not in the same direction as, as the swell. So that, that really is gnarly water and it's not comfortable. It's hard to paddle. So one day I decided to stay inside and put a sea anchor and wait it out. There's really no reason just to push and, and, you know, get tired, not move anywhere. And then the next day feel like you're tired. It's better to rest one day and then be stronger the day after. But I really didn't like also the, the unexpected Issues. Um, I'm really good at planning and envisioning, envisioning what could go wrong. So I had plan A, B, and C, like a watermaker. What's the backup of the watermaker? and manual one, and and the backup of that will be transforming the first one into a manual one. And same for the batteries. i same. You know, I would have different system for everything. Electric built bilge pump and a manual one, and, and then I would have a pump, hand pump. So I'm really good at envisioning what could go wrong and picturing how I would react in those situations. But then something that I had not planned would happen. And that's when the stress level would be higher. Like an example would be at the beginning, uh, I had an issue in the, in the back with my steering line. And that means that the the waterproofness of one compartment that was at the one at the, near my feet, under the uh, near the rudder, the very very back of the boat uh, started to take on water so the compartment was filled up with water and the inside hatch was not waterproof so at 2 o'clock in the morning still my feet are wet and I was like this is weird normally okay there's condensation during the night I could feel humidity but this is wet so I turn on the light and I see that there's water like spilling all over I open the hatch and the water is coming out what I close it and I put some of the sealant and aqua- it's like a Glue called 2200 and I, that was stressful I didn't know what to do so you get into prob- problem solving mode but uh, yeah I whatever is unexpected and or something that I'm not really good at like taking care of you know epoxy and all this I'm not very I'm handy but I'm not good at this mm-hmm. and you have to create a new solution and, and you know we decided with Dave like okay was well, now you We stopped the leak. It's fine. You could sleep. Okay, good. And the next day we started to think, and the next day we started to think. The water was still in the compartment, but somehow I was not ready to deal with it mentally. I had to wait until a very flat day, and we created something out of nowhere. Like, you know, I had these little applesauce, like the ones that the kid eat, Mm -hmm. you know, where you press them. Sure. And and then so there's the mouthpiece where you could close it back with this little screw thing. And I had the idea of cutting the neck of it and then gluing it under the hatch level so that I glued it and the next day I would put even more glue so it would be completely waterproof. And I opened the little little screw top and then I drilled through it. So essentially creating a drain and then the water started to leak through it and I had a little uh, textile bucket and I removed maybe six or seven liters, like two gallons. little by little and i could close it back so then there you go i found found a solution to my issue rather than opening the hatch flooding the the cabin with water and and just having to live through it so yeah the land support was amazing just for brainstorming and trying to take decisions together
0: so saved by applesauce (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) macgyver style yes now how long had you expected the trip to take
1: um, well it was hard to estimate but I thought it was going to be 70 days.
0: All right so there's an, honest, un, un, uh, an unexpected thing use 70 days and you take 91. so how did you uh, extend the trip? Mm-hmm.
1: well um, I did 70 days I thought 70 days actually I literally I thought 60 days but I, I said 70 days because I knew that if I did 60 I said 60 days and ended up doing 70 it would be harder mentally. So I said 70 days, but I took 80 days of food just to give myself a margin, 80 days of 4,000 calories a day. And so half day should have, half trip, which should be 35 days, right? But I did 50, 49 exactly. But I had 30 days of food left, halfway point. So I said, okay, if I'm as slow as the first half, that I need 50 days of food. And Four thousand calories. I decreased by one thousand three hundred or one thousand two hundred, more or less, because I still needed at least three thousand calories a day. Otherwise, I would lo- lose weight and lose efficiency. And so, two days of rationing would create one extra day of food. So, with the thirty days I had left, I, I added another fifteen. So that means I had forty-five days. Okay. Well, I'm fa- if I'm a little bit faster than the first half, I should be fine. And that's how I went my planning you know Uh Uh, but normally the second half should be faster but this year it was really slow the current were not favorable and we started to calculate okay well you're going to take 50 days to get to honolulu so the other decision we made was okay well there's another island hilo and the big island and this city of hilo is about 100 miles less so let's change target and you're going to save five days by going there so I finally arrived. Uh, I was actually faster. The last week was very fast. I was doing 35 miles, nautical miles a day. And I arrived uh, in 91 days. I still had four or five days of
0: food. Huh. All right. All right. So looking back, was it fun?
1: It was a blast. No, it was, it was hard. It was tough. But it's, uh, it was a life-changing trip. And, and my friend Steve Ramsey in Canada told me before the trip says, you're 45 years old and you know, those 30 days, 60 to 70 days are gonna feel like super long and hard and or they will be hard. But if, if you take it to the scale of your life, you know, three months is nothing, is nothing. But but the you have to do them because those 90 days are gonna change the way you live and see your life for the future 45 years. And he was right, you know. He's totally right. Now I'm a, I'm a different guy. I see the world differently. No, it's not easy you know, by stretch. Oh, no, it was really no. hard. But um, uh, yeah, I, w- I would do an- another trip like this, but hopefully not that long.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what advice would you share with other paddlers?
1: Uh, well, I would say that they try different uh, kind of boats. It's like a musician that once you play the guitar, you know, you know you could start a different kind of guitar. You could play the piano a little bit and, and everything gets better and easier. They're they're like same family. So that's what I did. I started with the outrigger canoe six men, and went on the O C one. This is one man canoe. And then I went on river canoes and then surf ski and rowing and um and, and now on this big ocean kayak. And I think it's it's all fun to be on the water. All these all these adventures are just amazing. And you could try different kind of water, you know, lake, river and an ocean and the playground is endless. So to a paddler, I would say, you know, push a little bit of your boundaries and try new things.
0: All right. So how has the re- re-entry process been?
1: Uh, very good. Um, there was a bit of sweet moment before I, I touched land where I was happy to see everyone and prospectively, you know, imagining the hugs and the kisses and people I missed, but somehow, you know, you, you create your own world in the 23-foot boat and uh, in in your waves and in your your clouds and your birds and they're all mine you know they, they were my 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 friends so hard to land uh but happy you know it's it's everything has an end and i knew that and now i'm, I'm back in the real world i've been really working hard to share the journey uh, i think a lot of people didn't think I, I would do it and i want to show them that if you have a dedication and discipline and, and you follow your dreams and you could do it and it have to be crossing an ocean it could be it could be anything you know you love to paint start painting now um music the same or uh, anything like you you really feel your heart vibrate uh, you should follow that and and so uh, i've worked a lot to uh, share the story and i will do so in the next few months and maybe years
0: all right don't wait to live your life
1: exactly yeah, yeah. just one
0: you know Right. How can listeners reach you if they've got additional questions or just want to learn from you?
1: So I've got a very hard name to spell, but if they succeed in writing in any Google, they should be able to reach me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, there's the website of the crossing called solo kayak to hawaii.com or my first name, last which is serialderomo.com. And then from both of these websites, there's a social media where I'm trying to be quite active every day. So there's the Instagram the Facebook. Facebook page would be Cyril Deremo Adventure. All right. Well, I'm... Um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm really reachable. I've learned so much through the 14 years of my paddling career, through uh, picking the brain of everybody I knew had done something better than me. So I will be available for anybody that would like to follow their dream.
0: All right. So I've got one final question for you, uh, and that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Who's inspired you? This friend of mine, his name is Steve Ramsey. He's from Canada.
1: He lives in Calgary. He's been paddling his whole all, all, all life, uh, mostly uh, river canoes, like traditional uh, Canadian river canoes. But he's tough, mentally uh, competitive racer and amazing paddler. And, and on top of that, he's a, a beautiful person. So he would be a great guest on your, on your podcast.
0: Well, I will connect with you uh, offline, and we'll make sure we've got all the links that we can put in the show notes to the websites and social media outlets and such. Um, and uh, I'd love to get a cop- uh, li- link to that song as well, the, the French song that you had mentioned. And then, of course, we'll connect with Steve. And uh, so I wanted to just say thank you very much, Cyril, uh, for spending time today with me, for sharing your inspirational story and your message to, to live your life, um, start living your life now. So mm-hmm. thank you very much.
1: No, thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit PaddlingExercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Boy, there was a lot of planning and preparation that went into that expedition. We didn't really talk about the trip very much. There's not nearly as much to talk about on the trip. You leave solid ground in California, see nothing but water for 91 days and 9 hours until you arrive in Hawaii. That's really it. Now, of course, the journey itself is incredible, but what I really enjoyed talking with Cyril about was digging into all the stuff that really made the trip a success. What a great idea to incorporate a pedal drive system into the boat, So he could better balance the demands on his body and remain in motion of course going in the right direction when he wasn't paddling the expedition was truly a life-changing experience for Cyril i know i enjoyed hearing from Cyril and i hope you did as well now he mentioned Ed Gillette a couple times and in case you don't know Ed was actually the first to make this crossing by kayak back in 1987. he did it in an off-the-shelf 20-foot tandem loaded with 600 pounds of gear and two plastic sextants for navigation. Now, aside from the extensive technology available to Cyril for the crossing, he also followed a slightly different style. Ed did use a sail for a portion of the trip, while Cyril did his completely under his own power. But as far as Ed's trip, no sponsors, no media coverage. Ed finished his trip, pulled up on the beach, called his family to let him know he was alive, then sat under a tree eating ice cream. Ed's trip was a pure model of adventure, and an inspiration for Cyril. Our next episode will feature Ollie Hicks. Ollie and George Bullard pulled off an incredible trip from Greenland to Scotland. Ollie's rode the Atlantic, been to every continent and every ocean, and I can't wait to share this one with you as well. So thank you very much for listening. And as always, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue.